Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called The Creeping Nature of Stress for a SaaS Founder. Let's get started. I didn't ask me anything on Product Hunt this week and one question stood out to me. It was John Jackson who asked me about the kind of life I led while running the business how stressful it was, and what that looked like. Doing these AMAs gives me a lot of opportunity to reflect on those things. And now that there are a few years between running and eventually selling the business and today, I'm able to look back from a slightly less subjective vantage point. Building a SaaS was a very gratifying activity at all stages, but over time, stress and anxiety crept into the day-to-day of running the business. And here's what happened during the two-year journey of Feedback Panda, the edtech productivity SaaS that I co-founded with my partner, Danielle Simpson. It was a lot of fun in the beginning. Let me tell you that. It was great. I got to build a fully-fledged software product, and I had a designer, product manager, marketer, and tester in Danielle who used the product for self even. It was awesome. And I only rarely felt stressed then. It was more like having to solve little challenges and puzzles to advance the product, but Our marketing was word-of-mouth based, and we had a very tribal customer community, so there was plenty of buzz around the product, and people eagerly tried it out. In the early days, people didn't depend on us that much, or at least we didn't feel like they did. Our fledging SaaS was a newcomer to an utterly underserved market, where people had been scraping by with self-built spreadsheet solutions and all kinds of weird things. We were a bonus at that point, not a necessity. And since we didn't have that many customers, maybe a hundred or so a couple months in, we could handle the support load. We made a point of turning any first-time answer to a problem that our customers encountered into a knowledge base article immediately, because we knew that over time, this would turn into a problem. But for, for the time being, this allowed us to have repeat questions answered automatically, or at least very quickly, with high quality step-by-step solutions. And In the end, those things were actually answered automatically because we were using Intercom as our customer communication product, and they had a feature that would automatically suggest certain knowledge base articles on the kind of question that people had, and they would pre-answer them or give them a selection of potential answers, and then even implemented a feature where if there were certain trigger words, certain keywords in the communication channel, in the question or whatever kind of outreach a person would have, they would automatically pluck a particular article from a knowledge base, which was really useful. So building up a knowledge base that was intentional to self-serve or allow our customers to self-serve their problems or the solutions to their problems, that was really helpful. And even at that point, the technical complexity of Feedback Panda, the product itself, was relatively low in the beginning, right? There wasn't much to fix on the product side, which was great for keeping stress levels down. Not too many bugs, just building features and, you know, sometimes having to fix newly introduced bugs. But that wasn't really stressful. It was just kind of exciting because we got to give people something new and then they worked with it, they used it, and there was immediate feedback. That was really great. But that didn't last too long. We had made an infrastructure choice that came back to haunt us just a few months into having paying customers. And it was brutal. Let me tell you that story. We hosted the Feedback Panda servers on a Docker-based hosting platform provided by a small German startup. We were a German startup. At that point, we lived in Germany still, 
and had founded a company there, had been building the startup from there. And we thought we'd just support our local startup ecosystem and deployed our product with them. And while it ran fine for many weeks and was really easy to use while it was working, something happened. And that something broke on their end. They had a, an infrastructure problem themselves. And all of a sudden, we experienced hour-long outages that our hosting providers struggled to recover from. We were in contact with them, and they didn't even really know what happened. It was just the connections not working and um, Docker instances or virtual machines not responding and not being reachable by the network system that they had. And they, they didn't know what's go what was going on. And we had no insight into what happened because we couldn't connect to the actual underlying system. We could only deploy our containers into their service. So our service just started failing randomly and it got really, really bad. It took a couple of weeks for, for it to get better. At one point, there was an almost 24 hour long outage of our system. That was brutal. And not being able to do anything about this was extremely upsetting for me as a person that usually has full control over the whole system. And we were still trusting that they'd eventually fix their issues, but we started doubting that when another week of daily outages went by and it was just, yeah, it wasn't fun. And even worse, we were traveling from Germany to Canada at the time because Danielle's family is Canadian and that's where we live right now. And back then we just were visiting and we weren't able to do any customer support during our flights to tell people, hey, it'll be back in a couple hours. Just let, let them try to fix that. It was very frustrating. And as those outages got worse over time, we needed to find a way out. And eventually, with the help of a very dear friend who was or and still is highly competent in uh, backend systems and infrastructure deployments, we scrambled to switch our backend from the small hosting provider into the Google, Google Cloud onto the Google, Google Kubernetes um, offering. And we did that within a few hours and it immediately stabilized the product. Like from outages every single day into now it's running smoothly, reliably. And reliably to a fault. Like in within the next year and a half of hosting on the Google Cloud, and this is not a paid advertising, this is just really my experience with this. I think we had a downtime of altogether four to five seconds. It was really extremely reliable. And that just brings me to the point of this, uh, this little story in a story. That's that tech choices are important, particularly in the beginning. The kind of tech you choose when you start, the whole stack, right? From what language you use, programming language, to what libraries you include, to what kind of potential libraries exist in the space, should you need them later, that really matters. And we learned that the hard way. We made the wrong choice choosing a hosting provider that was not stable, that was just there and we thought, ah, might just be useful. And then we trusted in them for too long, even though we should have just had an alternative ready the moment we saw these outages. Yeah, that, that was a, a pretty tough lesson. But we got it back to normal and our uptime was back um, in, in the 99% at some point, <laughs> depending on where you start doing the math from, I guess. We reached out to our customers and we tried to apologize for all the issues. And almost all of our users gave us another chance. But I personally was left scarred a little bit because I had developed what I would now call an email notification PTSD from the customer messages that came in when outages started and the monitoring alerts that came in as emails as well. So whenever a notification sound would pop up, my heart started racing. And even today, two years after selling the business, which is four years after we started, and three years after this happened, I still physically react to those email notifications. 
or intercom notifications. It's just sounds of customer service chat windows opening. Whenever that happens on any page, not just my own SaaS product, no, any page at all, I my, my heart starts racing still. A little bit less every time, but it still happens. It's getting better, but it's not going away. And that's an important thing. Like, don't get that far, that deep into this, because you'll have a long time that you will need to deal with these kind of things. But yeah, that is my email notification PTSD story with uh, something that could have been avoided by making a better tech choice in the beginning. And it wouldn't even have been more expensive. Probably just maybe 10, 20% more. And that was it. It was just not a good choice. It was not well thought out. And if you are not technical and you need to make a technical choice, talk to people who have made mistakes like this before or talk to people in the infrastructure space that are not biased toward any solution because they are affiliated, but just really want to have a stable solution for this stuff. Talk to those people. They're not too hard to find. You'll see them complaining about every single thing on Twitter. So that should be very easy. Let's get back to the the product and the feedback panda story. As we grew our customer base, we also expanded the scope of a product because, you know, all products eventually grow. And we had built integrations into the services that our customers used on a daily basis. The problem here was that we had no means to know when those Chinese online teaching platforms that we supported would change their interfaces. And by this, I mean, they really changed the structure of the website because we uh, used browser extensions. They would constantly change their service at random times and nobody would know when it would happen and we would need to react as fast as we could to adjust our integrations before they broke or before people noticed that they broke. And since our integrations were browser extensions, that means at, at, at any point for a browser extension, that really means fix an extension, you need to fix it, need to figure out how to get it right again, deploy it to the Chrome or Firefox add-on store, or if you're particularly interested in that particular market, the Microsoft Edge extension store, and then hope that the automated update will update before your users notice that the extension is broken. And that's what happened to us. It was a cat and mouse game that we could never really win. And we would always need to try to be as fast as possible to get as few customer service conversations about an issue that we had already fixed. And now people just needed to update their extensions, which usually would require either restarting a browser or going to the extension page or whatever. It was, a, it was really a hassle and it was not fun for us to talk to our customers about that. And I mentioned automated replies in the beginning. We had automated replies for this. Whenever people would talk about their browser extension not working, we would switch on or switch off depending on if we had just released a new version of a browser extension, a little automated reply telling people how to quickly refresh their browser or update their extension. And that was really one of those interesting features because if it breaks, then it will break for everybody, right? If everybody has the browser extension version from yesterday, because the Chrome store hasn't updated it yet, and today's version doesn't work yet, because it hasn't been updated onto the people's browsers, then all of them will write a little message. So having an automated message at that point, being able to reply to everybody with, we know, we fixed it, here are the three steps you can take to get it onto your computer, saves you a lot of time and will severely reduce the stress levels that you will feel. But as you could probably imagine, we didn't come up with this solution until a later point. So in the beginning, when this happened for the first couple of times, it was reach out to people immediately after they complain about it and try to fix it. So it resulted in a high baseline anxiety for me. Will they change it while I'm working? And by they, I mean the Chinese companies that we supported. Or will it be in the middle of the night 
Will it be at a point where I'm not even there to fix it quickly? Those were typical thoughts that I carried with me every single day. And that was quite annoying. And as a consequence, I tried building systems that could alleviate this particular tension. I was starting to scrape their update file servers who had, that I just had found out that there were servers with new versions of the software somewhere that would indicate that a version change might happen. It wasn't clear when, it just was there and I could potentially see when I would need to look. And I built automated testing systems that ran continuously so I could see when stuff broke. But no matter what I built, these things could only help me with the speed of discovering that something changed. Not anticipated enough to make me feel at ease and prepare for the changes. Because I knew that there was going to be changes. I just didn't know which ones it was going to be. And that was a baseline stress that I was carrying with me all the time. And at the same time, like I kind of hinted at, more and more people started using a product. And any noticeable problem would now be reflected back at us in more customer service conversations. And here comes the biggest, biggest mistake we made. Since we never hired anyone to help, Danielle and I had been running Feedback.com with just the, the two of us as founders and no employees. This often created one particular kind of stressful situation. When, whenever something happened, we needed to both solve the problem and communicate it being solved at the same time, right? It broke, so I needed to fix it and respond to the avalanche of people reaching out with, hey, it doesn't work anymore at the same time. And context switching, particularly when you're trying to solve a technical problem that might not be obviously easy to solve, got very distracting very quickly. And the biggest mistake here was not hiring anyone to help either a customer service rep or another developer to help me fix those issues. I thought I didn't need to find help until I couldn't keep up the load anymore. But my mind tricked me. I thought I could still keep up with it when I was extremely anxious and was making mistakes because of it. It was pretty strange. I thought, oh, not enough work for somebody to hire, so better do it myself. Apparently I can do it. Well, I couldn't. And because I was experiencing those situations more and more, I veered into a severe bout of burnout just over a year and a half after we started Feedback Panda. And when we sold the business in 2019, a big load fell off my shoulders. And in fact, my motivation to sell was primarily impacted by my need to get rid of the source of all that anxiety and stress. I would have very likely stuck around longer had it not been for my inability to overcome my hiring inhibitions. Danielle tried to encourage me to seek help, to hire somebody. But a strange mix of indie founder pride and a complete disregard for my mental health made me ignore her very sensible advice. And now that you've heard my story, let me share a few things that I would recommend in hindsight, learnings that I take from this. The first one is if you are overwhelmed, do not dismiss the feeling. It's an indicator that you need to either solve a problem or find somebody to solve it for you. If you're overwhelmed, listen to being overwhelmed and act on it. Don't push it away and think you can struggle through it. It's not going to get easier if you don't find a solution to this. The second point, hiring someone to help is not entrepreneurial failure. It's actually a sign of success. And that's an indie founder problem because we're always thinking about being solopreneurs and 
getting everything done themselves and we see people like Peter Levels who seems to have everything under control, have multiple products, making a lot of money and every founder out there sees solo founders or at least CEOs who talk about their product and their business as if it was only one person. But often it's not. They often have help, even though they may not talk about it as much. And it's important to understand that delegation is a key to success. Suppose you're struggling to work on multiple things at the same time, delegate it. Find somebody to help you. You'll make fewer mistakes and you will feel better about yourself and the business. And maybe that's an important part here too. Let's talk about delegation because often people, and I myself was one of them, say, ah, it's so hard to train somebody new. I can do it myself. I can do it faster myself, right? It's just easier. Actually, don't. Just build systems and processes that reduce workload because whenever you can and you automate and document something, that will result in less time spent on tedious tasks because automation will take that away from you. And documentation will make it easier to eventually give the job to somebody else. That's the key here. If you want to be able to hire somebody, just document a lot. Before, even before you hire, documentation will be great for you. Because if you have a step-by-step -step checklist that you can follow, you'll make fewer mistakes when push comes to shove. Because if you have to quickly deploy something to a server that, that you haven't deployed to for half a year, because it worked out super well, well, having a step-by-step that you put there in an Ocean document or a Google Doc or whatever, the moment you first created this, like when you, I don't know, built the server on AWS, and then you just write a step-by-step how to log into AWS, how to connect to the server, how to start the service on the server, that kind of stuff. If you do that the moment you create, you will have a super easy time to go through these steps again when something is burning in your business. If you don't, and you have to figure out all these steps while people are talking to you about your service not working, you're going to have a bad time, which is why documentation is so important. And if you have that in place, well, it's so much easier to hand that over to a new hire and say, hey, if something breaks, here's how you log in. Or just try it now, see how to log in so you can actually do it when push comes to shove. That's an important thing. Documentation is at the core of this. You either standard operating procedures, like have a structured format for this, or if you don't want to do this just yet, just have a Notion document or a Google Doc and put a couple step-by-steps in there and that'll be good enough. Th that's documentation for you. Number four, I guess, is keep an eye on the expectations that you set for yourself. A growing business will stretch you out. That's just normal. That's how scaling anything works, right? More customers, more features, more work. You can't magically find more hours in the day and you won't be as responsive a year into the business as you were on day one. And that's okay. And being okay with things changing is important. And that's a mistake that I made. I thought, no, I have to be responsible for everything a year into the business, just as much as I was when we didn't have a customer. Like we had literally thousands of customers and I felt like I would need to respond to every single one of them the same way I did as I did when I did when it was like five or 10. And it's just not right. Like you change over time, the business changes over time and it's fine. Just keep aligned to anything you do. Finally, listen to your peers and business partners. And this is for Danielle, right? She told me all these things and I thought I knew better and it was a mistake. I should have listened to my co-founder who had my best interests at heart, like literally, because not only did she co-found the business with me, we were also in a, and are also in a super happy and involved relationship. Like she was trying to make sure that I 
was still there for the business and still there for her. And I didn't listen. And she saw what happened to me and she suggested ways to remedy my issues that I couldn't see clearly. So I th- this is kind of where, where advice um, turns out to be things that I wish I would have told myself back in the day, right? Where all advice is kind of telling your younger self something that you wish you knew back then. Try stepping back from your subjective reasoning, even though you think you know what you're doing, and invite the opinion of others or the opinions of others. And try to see where you might be blind or biased towards a certain thing, where others see you fully, maybe more than you see yourself, and can and want to guide you toward a more stable and a more enjoyable life. And ultimately, really, you can't avoid the fact that a growing business will also grow the sense of responsibility you'll feel as a founder. It's just normal. There will always be stress and there will always be some sort of anxiety. There's always going to be stuff, right? Things happen. But you can't keep them in check by knowing how they show their ugly heads. And that's that's why I talk to you about my own experiences here today. Listen to people's experiences. Ask people for their negative experiences, for when they felt stressed, for when they felt anxiety. And if you had these things, please tell those stories. Tell those stories on Twitter. Write about it on your blogs. Go on podcasts and talk about this. Share the stories of how things negatively impacted you so that others can learn from those stories. And if you're just starting out with your business, keep an ear open for those stories because they are more important than the success stories. The success stories are great for learning where you want to be, but the failure stories, the error, the mistake stories, the stress, the anxiety, the mental health stories that you will hear, they will show you what you might encounter along the way and how to deal with it, how to see it for what it is, how to mitigate it from the start, or how to go through it and come out a happy founder. So take a deep breath, build a calm company that allows for a mostly stress-free workday, and listen to other people. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootster Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at avidkahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-E-H-L, you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find my book Zero to Sold at zerotosold.com and The Embedded Entrepreneur at embeddedentrepreneur.com. In Zero to Sold, I talk a lot about mental health, so you might want to check that out. If you have questions about this episode, reach out on Twitter or send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.